Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a Wonder Tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Welcome to Dune Episode 1. We're in the middle of a series on integrity, and today we're going to talk about how Duke Leto embodies the value of integrity, and in doing so, transfers it to all the people and his family and friends around him. All right, welcome back to Wonder Tour. We're at episode 42 today. As Drew said, we're going to be talking about integrity. I brought a mic to a sword fight today, so we'll see how it goes with Dune. And we have a very special guest with us today. His name is Brian. I'm going to let him introduce himself, and then we'll jump in. Hey, morning, guys. Thank you so much for letting me sit in on this one. This is going to be a lot of fun. I've enjoyed working with these two in a variety of contexts. I think there's some both formal and informal leadership roles that'll be fun to talk about out of this one. I've probably read Dune more times than is strictly healthy, so let's get to it. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I'm very excited for it. When I got up this morning, and we record Wonder Tour early, a little bit of a pulling back of the veil, but when I got up this morning, I was like, all right, I'm ready to get out of bed. It's like when you're getting up to go on vacation or something, you're like, all right, I got to get up early and go. Because I knew that Brian has such a passion for Dune and for leadership and that this was going to turn into a great story for for our Wonder Tour. Couldn't wait. I I was excited for what was going to be said. Of course, we have things that we prepare ahead of time. And we kicked around some different things, but there was a certain amount of mystery there. And so I didn't know it was going to be below the sand, but I'm, I'm ready. So where are we going to start at, Drew? I just want to start out by talking about Dune because we have a resident Dune expert, Brian, on here. So, <laughs> Brian, what is it about Dune? And you can talk about the movie right now. We've only seen part one, the 2021 version of the Dune movie. But you can spruce in some additional Dune content from the books as well. Yeah, no, I think uh, like we talked about a little bit earlier, the a little bit of the context is just that Dune as a book came out in the in the late 60s. And so has so influenced a lot of the other science fiction, space opera-y things in pop culture, including Star Wars, of course, that we a lot of it has worn a little bit smooth, but people may not have seen the source material. They're just aware of how, how it sort of resonated down through the culture. So it was really fun to see. There's been a number of attempts to film it. It was really fun to see a full-length movie of half of the first book that was quite faithful and respectful of the source material and that was a lot of fun and they i think they the the trick that i appreciated hearing from the the movie director was this idea that his approach to it was all of the shots are either really close-up shots of people's faces or massive sweeping vistas of spaceships and the desert planet or giant buildings is kind of a nice contrast for the scope of the story but how much of the story is character-driven and decision-driven and very, very personal in this context. I think that was it did that well 40, 50 years ago and continues to resonate because of that. I have one question after watching the movie quite recently. Is Spice glitter? (laughs) (laughs) It's a it's a it's a neat trick. Like how do you make it look cool, right? (laughs) So I've gotten glitter at my nose before. I don't know if I had the same reaction as Paul. I might have. <laughs> might have special. They might have special glitter on Arrakis. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because in Star Wars, there's also a concept of spice, right? And spice, in it's not too different. It's not used for space travel yeah. though. In Star Wars, in Star Wars, it's just primarily a drug. 
but you never see it because it's Star Wars is always like trying to get that PG rating. I know that some of them are, you know, rated PG 13 or whatever, but it's almost yeah. always trying to fit more closely to the PG rating. And so they, they don't show the actual drug. <laughs> yeah. That, that shows I, up on, that yeah. showed up in Boba Fett and I assumed it was just a, you know, Oh, there's a, a drug called spice on a desert planet. That's a straight up homage to Dune. Like there's no, that's not like accidentally arose in a second place. <laughs> that is, that is people that have been reading science fiction for a long time. Yeah, I was going to say, that's how you end up with the hoses coming out of your head. I'm pretty sure you do too much spice. <laughs> you didn't use it for your starship. <laughs> You'd used it. Oh, so, it's, it's fleshed yeah. out in the books. I, I know we're not here to talk about Star Wars today, but there, yeah, there's there's spice users that in the books you get like a deep dive into what it's like when you're addicted to spice. That's interesting. All right. Well, let's jump into it here. I, I, I enjoyed that introduction to Dune. Brian, thank you for giving the richness of the landscape. I think that's awesome. Let's dive into our journey today. We're going on our nature hike. We're going to go find out what we get to see. The sun has yet to rise. Let's get started on our journey. So we're going to focus today on Duke Leto. We were in a series on integrity. And so for me, Duke Leto just embodies it. I don't know. It might also be like Oscar Isaac's face. He has a really good like face for integrity and the way that he played the role here. But when I was rewatching this movie, it stuck out to me that the integrity of all of the other characters, especially the Atreides, all stems from Duke Leto. He is this kind of patriarchal character for this this family and and this faction and He's so dead set on doing things the right way consistently over time, and he's so focused on the long-term goal and vision that the other people around him can't help but to take on his value for integrity. So, Brian, when you're coming in here and you're like, what do you think about when you think about Duke Leto? Let's just start by defining this character, because we kind of on the Wonder Tour like to define these mentor archetypes. So what type of mentor archetype do you see Duke Leto as? Mm, all right. Good question. I don't know that I know all your archetypes, but the thing that strikes me, and I'm, I think we'll pick out a couple of good examples here, is that as a leader, he's really good at the big picture stuff like you know this is where we're going and why this is the situation we're in this is what we're trying to accomplish but his overwhelming focus of like where he puts his attention as leader is onto his people he's not about the stuff he's not about counting how much stuff he's got he's not about what like logistical goals he can accomplish he's about who are the best people and how do i put them in a good position to succeed and what do i have to do to take care of the people that are around me and that i think think that's part that helps kind of resonate out through the organization, like you said, is that everybody has the sense that, yeah, you know, the Duke would would absolutely risk his own life or spend his own energy to put somebody on his, you know, in the family or somebody in the house in a good position. So he has this visionary kind of an archetype, but a different type of a visionary, right? He's not like your Ready Player One Halliday visionary archetype where he's seeing things like way out into the future and he's trying to figure out how do those things become a reality. Instead, he's the visionary that is focused on like, let's make a clear vision, not a fuzzy vision, but a clear vision for what flourishing looks like. And then let's cast that vision to our people and let's make sure that you know so let's let's give an example when he gets called by the emperor to go to arrakis even in the movie where you don't get as much time to flesh it out you still see people kind of questioning and paul's like why are we doing this and he's explaining clearly why we have to do this even though 
He knows that there's a cost to doing so. He's very transparent with his people and he's focused on them. He's focused on making sure that before we do anything, everybody understands and is aligned with why we're doing it. And as a result, when they get there, yes, obviously everything goes south. Spoiler. <laughs> everything goes south. Everybody dies, basically. But all is not lost because of the care he puts in to the grand vision and the purpose. So those that are able to continue to carry the banner of the house are so strong and so set in their integrity that they're able to carry out that long-term purpose without him even being there anymore. Well, and if I can tag on that real quick, part of that is because his vision isn't about the stuff, right? They set up a very clear contrast where the Harkonnens were all about get as much spice as possible out. You know, there's there's a couple dozen Freeman wandering around the desert somewhere, but it's not our problem. We're going to, you know, we're, you know, we're just grind them into pulp. Our job is to keep everything out of the way so that we get our stuff. And Leto's vision for for Atreides going to Dune is not like, we're going to do that. We're going to get really rich. And so then we can do whatever we want. His vision for going to Dune is there's people there that can help us. There are people there that have untapped potential and I'm going to go find them and I'm going to get them on our side. And then we're going to be awesome. Desert power. That's my, uh, that's my comment. Desert power. No, I think that's that you're right there, Brian. I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about him is that he sets the right vision he still has a, as we've talked about before on previous episodes, he's has a front game and a back game, and they do align. He is consistent in his front game and his back game. His back game is a longer-term strategy of the unwritten, the unseen, the unthought about, and that is a good vision for somebody with integrity to have. Very often, the evil, say less integrity-holding leader, is more about the front game and the projections and kind of the overt, obvious things to fight over. And Leto's playing the entire board, and I think that's that's the best way that I've seen integrity play out in leadership is when you have a front game and a back game. You have somebody who's actually strategizing you know, and not just operational. So that's that's great. Well, and, and the other cool thing about that, right, is that he's being put into a very difficult, unfamiliar situation, right? It's not, this is probably not unusual as a leader, right? You'll get like, anyway, this is this is my wheelhouse. This is what my group is good at. These are the kinds of projects or the kinds of situations I'm familiar with. And suddenly I'm being forced to do something that's very unfamiliar. And that is, in this case, has a high probability of failure. So how do you turn that into a message of like, hey, everybody, we're going to go do this and we're going to go do it for real. And we're going to think about a way to make it even greater than the people that assigned it to us. Oh, that's good. So this is like a, a piece of the visionary kind of plight that you almost run across is a lot of times visionary leaders get in over their head. <laughs> whether it's the environment kind of puts you in over your head or your your vision gets you you know in over your head we've talked about this a number of times on the tour before where leaders get in over their head and the the point here then if we take it back to integrity is that when you have integrity even when you're in over your head you're able to get the buy-in of your organization to be able to move forward anyway hopefully it's not you know a death sentence to everybody and you're kind of just moving forward on the war lines <laughs> because that's your only play but it's when you inevitably get in over your head because we all as leaders get in over our head sometimes uh, more you know somebody dunks you under the water basically <laughs> like in this situation the emperor kind of just dunks him under the water but when that happens, it's going to be 
of vital importance that you have integrity to play the long game and that you don't just search for the easy way out. I think that's where they would have totally fizzled and been burnt to the ground, right, if he didn't have any long plays. Now, I think it's interesting, though, that the majority of his long play is something that he does not understand. He does not understand Paul's true potential. And actually, he talks to Lady Jessica. I like to say it like that. He talks to her in such a, I don't know, let's say quizzical way. Like, I don't understand Paul. And again, I'm paraphrasing totally in my own speak. But I don't understand, Paul. I don't get what this stuff's all about that you guys are doing with the scary voice. <laughs> I also don't fully understand that being a an early Dune type. I played like maybe the PC game and then I've seen this. So anyway, full disclosure. But I think that's interesting that he had the trust to Lady Jessica and said, will you protect him? He knew that Paul was valuable, but he did not quite understand Paul. However, he knew that Paul had a longer term play. He also knew that he delivered the message of desert power to Paul. And so with that, he kind of says to himself, I've got to play this front game. And then that back game, he kind of let that go a little bit. And I think leaders that have vision will do that. Otherwise, as you say, Drew, they are in totally over their head because they're trying to control the entire back game. No, he's got something going on here. So I want to talk to to a practical application of this now a little bit. So let's bring in the moment where we have the Duke doing the kind of leading up this charge to save the people that are on the crawler that's mining for our spice. So I think this is our moment here. We've reached the top of the mountain. We've gone through, we've talked about, you know, we've met the Duke and now we're we're kind of at this moment where we're going to learn about his character. And this is like the most crystallizing moment in terms of our minds. This isn't crystallizing for his character. The Duke is a static character in this movie in the, and in this series, right? As, as, as far as we get to know him, he, he doesn't change. And that that's a good thing, right? Actually, his integrity has led him to the point where he has a static character and it's a good character. But this is where we get introduced to it, especially in the movie. You see, hey, yes, there's this crawler which you can imagine is extremely expensive it's filled with spice which is you know worth a fortune and yet he's not even asking questions of how do we save the crawler he's saying like let's go take a risk let's potentially risk our own equipment and crew to go try to save those people how does that show you kind of how how we in the real world can take and apply integrity in our lives and in our business yeah he's uh yeah, he says almost explicitly, and the the people around him say explicitly in that scene, he's like, you know, he cares more about the lives of these individual people who are like grunts in his organization that he's never met. He cares more about helping them in that moment than he does about anything else, including risking his own life. It's funny, like actually so they get down there and like, oh, we can take six people per, per thopter, but if we throw the shields out, like literally if I get rid of my defenses, I can take more people. <laughs> Like he is leaving himself as naked as he possibly can to try to be the kind of leader that puts his people first. And so that's a, it's a pretty powerful statement, both to them, but also, like you say, just as an example of kind of the way his mind works as a leader. Man, that's good. I like the the shield part that you brought in there. He literally sacrifices the shields in order to save the people. And so he he makes himself and others vulnerable, but it's towards a purpose. And that purpose is not, you know, it's to save human lives. But like you said, Derek, he has a back game that's running. And the back game is he needs to teach Paul 
and these other people what it's like to be a good leader. And what that means is he needs to stay intact constantly. We keep using this word intact in our integrity series because, Derek, I think you brought it in at the beginning and you were like, wow, that's interesting. And at first, I didn't even fully comprehend how powerful the word intact was and how it linked to integrity. But now you're you're starting to see it. Integrity is consistently good character over time. And if that's the case, then we must remain intact. So he does that here by putting forward that vulnerability with his people and making sure that they see that it's always about the people first. And that's what's going to have to carry Paul forward when Leto is gone. There's always a more of a risk having integrity than not, right? And I think that is very interesting. You very much end up risking yourself operationally a lot of times because you're trying to save literally the future. I mean, there's so many times where you can, I'm sure you can think of situations where you've like, I'm going to throw myself on the grenade here to say, because I can't, I don't want to lose this member of the team. I don't want to lose that spark they may have. You know, I know the stakes are like nowhere near as high as this. We're not running around in thopters, saving people from giant sandworms, but there are dumpster fires that (laughs) we get into project wise that can burn people out and people are like, Dude, I am not working with you ever again. And if, but I have an if, example depend, here. Yeah, depend on how you handle it, right? I love to hear your example. Yeah, so good one from some years back. We had trying to bring in new tech, right? That's always a challenge. So we want to bring in new tech, but we're not bringing in new tech for the sake of being able to say that we're at the forefront of, of technology. We're bringing it in because there's a need for people to use this technology. So with that, we're getting a lot of pushback from different people just due to, again, the costs and the change management. And it's, you know, it's challenging to bring in new tech. And so certain, you know, and you need everybody on board in order to do so successfully. And so we had this great vision and we cast the vision. We told the story. We really went out and talked to the people and understood what do the people need and how are we going to make that vision work? And we found the solution. And when we brought that solution forward, there were a number of parties that weren't really, I don't know if they, it wasn't that they weren't sold on it. They understood, yes, it meets a need, but they didn't think it was feasible. I think it was, that was it. They didn't think it was feasible for us. And so we got a lot of pushback and I'll be honest, I even started to be like, all right, well, we might have to, you know, we might have to settle for less here. We might just have to go back and take take our second option because, which was nowhere near as good in this scenario. The the second option tech was like older tech that was not going to really solve the problem. It wasn't future vision. It was just going to meet the current need and that's it. And then I remember going into a room with one of our great leaders that we had and he was like, he heard what we were dealing with and he said, no, we're going to support that. We're, we're going to get the first option. I don't, what you're telling me, I'm hearing it, I'm understanding it and I believe in it. We're going to take the first option. I believe in you and the team that's decided on this. I will support you in that. And that turned the tide of the battle right there, right? Is is It didn't just turn the tide of the battle. That gave me and others the belief over time that not just for that one new solution that we were bringing in, that we would be able to do it, but other new solutions. And now it's paid off dividends over and over. That one moment, we talk a lot on Wonder Tour how that one moment can be so meaningful and you don't know it at the time. And it was looking back on that when, when he said, yeah, go for it. You, I, I need you to go for it. It set off a number of different dominoes that over time have helped us to realize that grand vision. Yeah, that's awesome. Drew, I think we might have talked about this the other day, but um, 
super brief sidebar, one of my running jokes at, in, you know, in operations and trying to propel new things through an organization is that we used to say that the middle management of any organization are the white blood cells of the company. Their job is to reject change. It's not a bug, it's a feature, right? Like, but by default, <laughs> by default, they will take any new thing that you propose and try to reject it because they've been successful in the old way, right? They've been successful. The reason that they're in management is because they were good at whatever the old way of doing things was. And so there's a lot of different ways to approach that. And, and, and one, of it, one part of it is just to be respectful about it. But if you have that leader with integrity who is good at articulating, I can see over the hill, this is where we're going. This is why we want to do the big picture stuff. So we're going to try this thing that feels uncomfortable or new. That's almost required to really, to really move an organization off of what it's comfortable with today. Uh, so that was a great example there. Well, I think this has been a great discussion on this first half of Dune. Drew, do you have anything else you want to hit on the mountaintop here, or have we come down off the mountain? Let's come down off the mountain, baby. We're walking back down. We're just, you know, our feet are hurting a little bit, but that's okay. We're enjoying ourselves as we go, starting up a kind of reflective conversation here. So to kind of talk through what we've said so far and feel free to interject here guys we we brought up this idea of duke leto as the leader that represents integrity to his operation and with that integrity over time extends itself to others if you really act with integrity it's almost like others can't help but start to go that direction with you and so as we've looked at that model We've kind of figured out that, hey, the vision is not about the stuff. His focus is on the people. That is the starting point. If you want to be a leader with integrity, focus first on the people and focus on what does it look like for the people to flourish? What is the vision for the people flourishing? Not the vision for the castle, not the vision for the planet and the warships and everything else. What is the vision for the people flourishing? And then we can get into, you know, how do we actually accomplish that? And we, we talked about the the rescue from the sandworm. We talked about kind of the example that I just gave of how it can happen in reality. It, it's really these individual moments because integrity is consistently being of good character over time, but the people in your organization are only going to see it in spurts. They're only going to see it in moments. And those moments are so critical. And that's why we need to act with integrity in each opportunity that we have. I would say a good leader maximizes those moments for optics that has high integrity, knows that they can take the hit. I think that's the number one that I would take away. And then two, also knows that you don't really need to be in the limelight for very long. You just need to make sure that when you are taking the hit, make sure people see it. <laughs> I don't think that's a lack of integrity to make sure people see you take the hit. I think that's the important part because that's the part that sends the shockwave of integrity through your organization. I'm going to let Brian have his final comments there. Well, I guess, yeah, from watching the first movie, right, the, we can't overlook the elephant in the room that the, the Duke's integrity is what gets him killed, right? He trusts somebody who does actually love him and betrays him anyway. So being aware that integrity comes in many forms and that there's some risk in empowering your people, but it's also the only way forward. And like Drew articulated really eloquently, like it's not just that they, they'll do well when you're looking at them or when the, at the moment when you empower them. 
they'll continue doing well even after you're no longer their leader. They'll continue acting that way or they'll continue remembering your vision and your examples. Drew's going to remember that meeting of how that one leader backed him up and was, you know, looking over the hill on his behalf. He's going to remember that and try to replicate that in his career. So that's, that's perfect. That, that's that power. Thank you, Brian. Desert we really power. appreciate Yeah, desert power there. We really appreciate you being with us today, Brian. We really enjoyed it. And we have you on for the next episode, which is really exciting. If you have anything that you'd like to add to this conversation, hit us up on The Wonder Tour on Twitter. And next time, we'll be doing the second half of Dune. And just remember, not all who wonder are lost. We'll see you next time.